This is a test of the emergency broadcast system. In five. Check for sound. Four. It's showtime. Three. Let's two, go. One. This is the Pro Audio Suite, a program all about audio and voiceover. Our panel consists of George the Tech Whittam from LA, Robert Marshall of Someone Audio Post Chicago, and Source Connect, Darren Robbo Robertson of Voodoo Sound Sydney, and myself, Andrew Peters, voiceover talent based just out of Melbourne, Australia. Don't forget to check out all episodes on our website. That's theproaudiosuite.com. Now let's get on with the show. Welcome to another Pro Audio Suite. We have a special guest who specialises in advertising and audio production. He writes for several publications, including Sound on Sound magazine, and is a consultant and speaker at VO Atlanta. He's also a voice talent uh, from his own studio, which he shares with his wife, who is also a voice talent, which obviously means that baked beans are always a menu option. Originally from California, he now lives in Sao Paulo in Brazil. Good evening, Jason Birmingham. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Great to have you. Now, you obviously uh, get out and consult and write lots of bits and pieces that we mentioned. So, uh, and I also was interested in talking to you because uh, Paul Strickverder tipped me towards you because we were talking about the way things are changing and the way we should probably be working more and more from our home studios. But then it all depends on whereabouts you live in the world, whether you need to have a home studio. So we'll cover that off shortly, but I just wanted to find uh, out from you how your move south affected the way you do business. I came down here about 20 years ago, and I was living in Sao Paulo and working for country music television, which was coming down to Brazil at that time. And they were building studios in Sao Paulo to actually do some of their shows locally. And my wife was an on-screen talent. And we met and she, you know, she did some voiceover on the side. And as we started dating and and got married eventually, she always told me there's a big market for voiceover talent who speak English in Brazil, which really took me by surprise because I couldn't understand why there would be a big market for English speakers in in a country that speaks Portuguese. And using our know how from building the studios at CMT, we ended up building a really professional home studio. And this was in probably 2010. And the work just, I mean, immediately took off. And by 2012, I was working full-time just doing voiceovers in English and just for Sao Paulo. Wow. So most of your work would obviously be remote sessions because um, it sounds like you're pretty well encamped in your home studio. Yeah. You know, initially, we we live in in a neighborhood here in Sao Paulo where there's probably like 12 or 15 production houses within walking distance. So initially, I would always work... At those production houses, we would record with them because the directors like us to be there and, and direct. But I've seen a trend in the last two or three years that even the production houses that are right around the corner, they want us to send our work out from our home studio because it's just faster. If there's a pickup they need right away at 11, you know, 11 p.m. because they're working around the world now, uh, we can get out of bed and record it and send it to them and the quality will be just the same. It fits right into what they have already. You know, I actually miss getting out of the home studio and recording more with the studios that are here in town. I think that's a common theme, working at home. Sorry. (laughs) No, I was just saying, I think that's a common theme as far as, you know, like losing that social interaction. Uh, It's... It's definitely a thing that, you know, you hear again and again. That's pretty amazing. You guys are all that close together, clearly in some sort of a studio zone. 
and yet they're still prefer. I mean, it's still not fast enough. They still want that convenience of the immediate turnaround of a home studio. It's pretty yeah, amazing. exactly. It, we're we're kind of in a high part of town, and so it was an area where there's lots of antennas, which means there was lots of TV stations. Like MTV was right around the corner from where we live. And so the production houses, the audio production houses were serving these television stations and they, they stayed in business. But today it's just, you know, they, to compete, the turnaround times, I don't know how it is in other countries, you know, for you guys, but for us, it's, it's just almost immediate. Whoever can deliver the fastest gets the job. And so they always call their go-to people first. But if there's a problem and you, it's going to take you 35 minutes to record that, what they need right then then often they'll call somebody else that has a home studio and can get it to them in, in 10 minutes. And it's, you know, it just becomes like a, uh, so competitive for time that it's, it's not even a, a question of if you have a home studio, it's how good is your home studio and how fast can you get stuff out? I think, I think the promo business is fairly similar here in the States. It's also like very on demand, like now. <laughs> now, like so now that like, the likes of like Bo Weaver, I mean, 15 years ago before we had really good mobile f- devices, he was carrying a Zoom recorder, recording to a Zoom recorder in his car, uh, taking the micro card out, sticking it in his BlackBerry and emailing an MP3 to his <laughs> a Blackberry. client from the side of the road, you know, so that right. he could get to or- his house in Ojai an hour and a half away. It was the only way he could drive there and not be caught with his pants down. Or like you know Cipriano doing source connects from the like the back of a car just pull over, <laughs> right? So it's definitely the same in demand. Is it, I mean, are you you're doing just Brazil in in English, or is, are there other markets that that you've got other you know like they act differently or they're not quite as you know immediate? What's going on here in Brazil in São Paulo, for example, is what kind of work would you guys imagine I would be doing in English? TV stuff, I guess. TV promos. TV and some radio, yeah, I would think. Audio books, perhaps? Well, no, but is it, is, is it for the Brazilian market, so why isn't it all in Portuguese? And, and, and I would imagine that there's a lot of, you know, English becomes the common denominator of, for a lot of countries. And so, you know, even in Europe, you go around and it's like, well, this should all be Finnish or something. And there's signs everywhere in English. So maybe I assume a lot of media goes out in English, even though it's predominantly a Portuguese speaking country. Well, I'll give you a hint. There's, there's, you know, there's institutional videos, phone stuff, you know, people that need, you know, that want to get their, their out, you know, their market, they want to get into the English speaking market and they're from Brazil, but that's like 20% of my work. I'd say 80% of my work is probably two things. And it's two things you wouldn't even think of right away. It's in English. Uh, it's for advertising agencies. And it's uh, stuff I record like four or five a day. Price changes. And so wh- wh- where does this stuff go? <laughs> uh, these, these, um... And it pays about the same as, as a corporate video in the States. And they're usually... Demo, demo work. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Animatics. Animatics. Good. That's one. Yeah. Animatics. The the animatic market is gigantic down here because it's a it's an industry where you yeah. have the big players like Budweiser, for example, I record for all the time. And they have to they have to develop the ideas in Brazil. It's going to be for the Brazilian market, but the headquarters are in the USA. So they do all of their advertising in English just to get approved at the headquarters and it never goes to air, but they pay me as if it were gonna, you know, as if it were an internal or corporate video, and it pays well, 
but it never goes to air and it's all the time because there's changes and then they have a new idea and then they, you know, and, and it is constant work. Yeah, I, I've done a lot of animatic work and sometimes actually it's more work. They noodle that stuff until it's dead. And then I've seen it where they finish the animatic and then they shoot that animatic frame for frame to the point where I did a spot where I did all the sound design and you, I just took my audio from the animatic and pasted it into the finished shot live video and it pretty much just worked. So can you guys explain for all the laymen, because there's going to be a lot of them out there not knowing what an animatic is, can you explain what an animatic is? Yeah. Will you? That's <laughs> <laughs> a better question. Would you explain? It's, uh, it's basically a demo commercial. Yeah, so they take it to the client to show them this is what we're going to think of, thinking of. And it's usually, some t- well, it used to be, years ago, it used to be drawings. So it would be a well, drawing that's, that's of the scene. The, but they have all those different names for it. So a drawing is a boredomatic. And then you have like, you have boredomatics, animatics, which are like sort of, like there's some companies out there that have really creepy animation where they don't have to like, you know, like they draw a few frames and it somehow makes it look like this person's walking, but it looks really robotic. So boredomatics, animatics, ripomatics, where they just go find foot footage and use it however they want. Um, they've got, uh, yeah, it's like a matic, anything you want. <laughs> yeah, one of the ones I do a lot of is in Brazil. I don't know what it translates to, but it's called a narromatic here, which is basically you just tell people what the yes, you know, yeah, the lady those. walks up to the car, the guy looks at the lady, she's attractive, he opens the door, and it's just walk him through the commercial. But it's not that simple. Because these days, I don't know about you, Robert, but my experience with those things is they then go to to the audio engineer. Oh, so we need like heaps of sound effects in there, and can you find some music? And can you <laughs> all of that? It becomes right. well, this massive even, production. Yeah, and it's kind of weird work in a way because like sometimes they're like, give us sound design for this thing, but it's a very static picture and there's not much going on. <laughs> so you're, it's like it's like the gray area between radio and actual full, you know, full up production. And so you're like theater of the mind with the sound design. Um, and they definitely, like, they make all kinds of changes. You're always like, oh my God, we need to show this now. It's like very last minute. It's kind of weird. It's almost more work than doing a full spot. Like I was going to say, it's bizarre. Sometimes I reckon they, sp- they spend more money on the animatic than they do on actually shooting the thing. It's weird. I yeah. don't know about more money on shooting it because the shoots are crazy expensive. Oh, sorry, we're putting it together. I've seen, yeah, them yeah. Spend, I've, spe- I've seen them spend more money on the animatics for a campaign because mm. they'll develop 10 and only one of them will go to production. And and so, but all that money spent on animatics and audio, I've seen it where it's as much or more than the finishing of the audio for the one spot that finally gets picked. Mm. Which is um, why Robert's driving a Bentley today. Mm. The giveaway is always I, like the V I didn't know that. at the top of the script near the key number where it has V whatever number. And yeah. You know, many- and the funny thing is that there is this whole thing where one person narrates it. Usually, actually, it's the copywriter or someone in the agency will just come in and be like, we're going to see a board of three people hanging out just an average day and blah, blah, blah. And the solution to everything is XYZ product. Like, And they describe the whole plot and what they're intending the viewer to take in from this and then they go something like this and then they play the video and that's the animatic and they have you know they go through the whole thing like casting every different character for and a lot of the times it's you know they're union signatures so that's all union work a lot of the times yeah and what's great about this market is is that you for me for example i i always say this to my wife and and it 
she says, I'm being humble, but I, I think it's true. I don't think I would be working in voiceover if I lived in the United States because I just, I couldn't compete. And what makes me competitive here in Brazil isn't that like if I were going to do a promo voice or, uh, you know, audiobooks or whatever, I'd be the best at it. But I can do the different aspects of an animatic well enough where I can probably do one by myself. So I can do the, the the narrator and then I can go in and do a couple character voices and then I can imitate what, you know, like a tag would sound like. And it sounds different enough where they know it's the same voiceover, but it sounds different enough where they kind of get an idea of what the full commercial will sound like and they just have to pay one talent. And so it's kind of being a jack of all trades here helps me compete where in the United States, I would have to really focus on one thing and be really good at it to, to, to make a living, I imagine. I don't know. And, and probably Phil's Union, even though you, it, like, the, you'd get a separate payment for every character you did. So it would probably not save them money there. It is interesting because a lot of animatic work, the workflow is like you, you're, you're working on it during the day. Um, you submit all your audio changes. At least this is from my perspective as audio. And a lot of the graphics work is all done like in Singapore, in Israel, and it's all sort of like 24-hour turn time. And so then the next day, but they like to, they often very much like to do the audio locally, whereas the picture changes are farmed out to what have you market where, you know, like they're, you know, basically able to either establish a 24-hour turn time or or they're, um, you know, like they're working with a more affordable, you know, uh, setup essentially as far as uh, editors and graphics people. I think also it comes down to, especially in Australia, it comes down to legals. So a lot of the ads and copy that comes in, if it's an international campaign, they have to send it off to CAD to get approval. And half the time the stuff doesn't get approved. So then it becomes, you know, a rewrite, rewrite, rewrite until they get approval on the script. Exactly. Or (laughs) in the case of an animatic, they're just changing their their mind internally before they even present stuff. I I love it. I love it when the agency are getting all these changes and then you find out that all those changes aren't even from the client. And, and you're like, that's all going to get taken away when they present this. <laughs> so now the quick, uh, go, go yeah, on. go ahead, Andrew. No, 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 no just, you go. I was going to change the subject slightly and just move on to the fact that you're working from your studio, um, and they've certainly varied uh, studios, home studios. What sort of setup have you got? We have well, what we do is, I love microphones, so I ended up. You know, I have a collection, but what I always try to do is match the microphones I know the studios here in Sao Paulo use the most. And so mm-hmm. it's an 87, you know, a TLM 103. Um, you know, we, I even have the, I'm trying to think, I usually we use the, the TLM 103 the most, but we, a lot of the studios, what I do is I ask them if they have an AKG or what mic are they using? And I try to use the mic that matches them the most. I don't have any... Uh, tube mics, though. I do have an Avalon yeah. that sometimes I plug in and use, but... An Avalon microphone or a preamp? An Avalon preamp. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so I, it can, I can run it through that if I need that kind of tube sound. Is, is, is the 416 a, a mic yeah. that yeah, that's a popular? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Any ribbons? No, no, not at all. But it's, you know, for us, it's the... It's just, it's a question of... of uh, Sounding, you know, the, I think for when you when you talk about home studios, everyone you know immediately thinks about the equipment that the, that you use. But for us, the the hardest part was the acoustics. You know, getting we live in an apartment. Mm-hmm. I'm in a different room, and I'm not in the studio right now. So you're hearing some of the background noise coming out the window because I, like I said, it's really hot, so I'm by a window. 
But yeah, it was, you know, we were renting. So you, you, you move into a place where you, your setup is there. And so you've got to work with what you've got. You can't really change the dimensions of the room. So you got to find the best room in the house. You've got to set it up in a way that in Brazil, for example, we don't have a lot of access to, you know, we can get online and, and, and order a great acoustic setup for that size room. So you kind of improvise, you read a lot and you, you get a sound that, that ends up working for you. But the that was the hard part for us is to get the the acoustics down, get the outside noise down, and from there, you know, whatever good mic you have, it was the people were happy with what we were sending out. Now I never thought about that, but all the booth companies are really international, so you know, here make a fortune, do a booth company in Brazil because it's everyone wants a booth, and there's just nothing here. There's nothing, yeah, because it's all Whisper Room, VocalBooth.com, you know, uh, Studio Bricks, but all that stuff is like mega shipping. Um, so there, it's got to be even crazier for the shipping. Yeah, hmm. yeah, it, mm. and in theory, you could build a booth, you know, because you can get the designs, but it's just nobody does it, and so you end up using whatever space you have and trying to make them, you know, the most of it. Yeah. So how did you treat your room? We ended up going with kind of a one-third, one-third, one-third approach with the reflection, the diffusion, and the absorption. So we ended up leaving some of the, like the wall, part of the walls uncovered. We used a lot of shelves on one side to get a little bit more diffusion. We actually put in some diffusers as well. We've got uh, cloud, you know, the the, the diffusing, diffusion clouds hanging did you make them or did you buy those? No, we could actually, there was a few people that had the audio production studios that we worked at. And what I would do is, is I would just kind of keep my eyes open for when studios were refurbishing. And I would say, <laughs> that stuff you guys aren't using anymore. Can I get my hands on that? That's how I got my diffusers. And, it, and it's, you know, they, they work really well and it works great. And another trick we've learned with the home studio is that we... You know, the studio itself looks pretty good, but we put in a webcam, you know, a high-resolution webcam, and we we got one corner of the studio that's got like a, you know, a reflection filter, and we put the Neumann U87, and we got the nice headphones, and it looks really, really professional. We put up some studio lighting, and then when we go with live direction, you turn that webcam on, and to the person looking at it from the other side, it's like you're in a professional studio. And so whatever your webcam sees need to, needs to look really good. Because when you're working abroad, especially internationally, it's all about trust. And, and people want to feel like they're getting, they can trust you to deliver a good you know, product. And they, you send them samples, but when they see that you're in a professional studio, everything looks really, you know, the, the, you've got a great mic, you've got everything set up. It just kind of puts your clients at ease a little more. So I've, I've got the product then. Uh, ma- imagine you've got like a big f- wall and you need to treat it acoustically. So you buy some sort of like 16 by 9 panel or whatever looks like a nice huge studio window. And it's your acoustic, you know, your your 703 or your, you know, whatever you're using. But printed on it is the picture of a studio window with people on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> Does this exist? Nice. I don't. I just made it up. You just made it up. Made. Yeah. Like, like to do it right, you could only take a picture of your studio from the same angle that the picture that you printed onto your whatever your fake window was taken at. Right. <laughs> exactly. That's funny, actually. At Universal Audio's uh, Nam booth, like one year, you got to get a photograph instead of in front of a vintage broadcast console. And then they had a couple people in costume, like Vince 
like Mad Men style, yeah, you know, fifties professional clothing, and then they would pose with you, and then through the quote unquote glass, they had a video of a of a control like a like a live room with people milling around inside. Oh, the that's live even room. better. Do it with a projection, it was, so it's it like stuff's awesome. going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I that's love great. the screen idea, though. I mean, because you you could have a piece of fabric printed. You know, in Brazil, you can anywhere, like you know, with the with your image, and then you could just put, you know, it could be a, a, a it could be a cross patch or a, a, it could be numerous different products behind it, you know, diffusion, absorption, whatever you want. But then that screen covers all of it, mm-hmm. and uh, that that's fun. I like that idea. <laughs> I'm stealing that. <laughs> You guys joke around about the you know the the importance of what people see, but in our you know in this in this culture we have right now of social media and Instagram and everything, I've noticed that here in Brazil at least we send a lot more images out than I think I, if we were working in the United States. And and for example, one of the first things I tell new talent to do if they want to work internationally is get professional headshots and photos because for voiceover. People, yeah, because people. Usually say, oh, you got a website, don't put your photo up because you don't want people to see what you look like and doesn't have anything to do with your voice. But here it's different because they want to see what they want to know who they're talking to. It's almost like showing your ID. It's like, okay, so this is a real guy. He lives, he's an American. He lives in Brazil. He does voiceover. And so, you know, one of my outside of Brazil, my biggest client is Italy. And so whenever I work with Italy, I, you know, they get on my site, they see what I look like. And and it just gives them a sense of who I am, and and that they can that I'm a real person, and I I think that's important, you know, to show what you look like, what your studio looks like. It lends credibility to what you're doing, and it makes the clients internationally feel more at ease about hiring you. That's really good to know. Like I, you know, I we I usually say that here in the states, you know, nobody cares. You know, they just want to hear your voice, get the work done, and move on. But yeah, with a cross cross-cultural, international, you know, thing where they're never, ever going to get to meet you in real life, probably. And whatever you can do to build credibility or trust on your studio end is helpful. And I, and I didn't even realize that in that world, video is a big deal. Because remember, we were talking to Paul Strickwerda, and he was saying, I don't want a camera in my booth. I don't want anybody to see me. It's voiceover. It's theater of the mind. I don't want to deal with that. But in other cultures, maybe that's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Especially to the younger, these younger agency, you know, these guys that are coming in, they, they love it. They love to get on their, their cell phone and Skype you and get in and direct you live right at that second. And they see what you're doing. They see what mic you're using. It, it just makes them feel like they're involved in the process and, and, and they know who they're dealing with. Yeah. I, I, I don't have a camera at all in here. Yeah. We, yeah we, don't, we don't have cameras in our booths. And it's like, in fact, it's gone the other way for us where we've had sessions where, Someone comes into the the room late, and we're doing a voice record, and the person's like, whatever, they're a writer, and they start giving their direction to the person. And at the end of the session, the voiceover person goes out of the booth and walks into the control room, and the the person who came late to the session is like, "Oh, you're here," <laughs> because they didn't even like 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 we have a window, we don't have the best sight line, but still, it's like they didn't even think that the person's there. They're not looking. They're it's just sort of it's all very headless voiceover stuff. <laughs> It's interesting, though, how things are different geographically. And that, that's what I was curious about with um, the way we conduct our business and how it's different in different countries. 
um, like you're saying, Robert, that you know the client didn't even realise the talent was in the booth and didn't really care that much. Right. Um, Jason's telling us that he needs a camera because they they want to see him working, and uh, and and then there's the travel aspect as well. Do people jump in cars, jump on trains, or whatever? So in each country, it's quite different the way we go about our business. Do you talk about that much, Jason? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, for Brazil, Brazil's a gigantic voiceover market, and it's just not an obvious market. But often I'll, um, I'll recommend, for example, I do all of the work in, in English male voice, but often people ask, do you have a female voice you can recommend? So I will recommend people I know in the States and that I trust. And I find that even when it's a question of when, when the client wants to talk directly to the talent and they speak English really well, a lot of it isn't the language, but the culture. It's like, what, what, if they say we want an emotional read, what does that mean to a Brazilian? What does that mean to an American talent? Oh, we want it to sound really natural. If you make it sound really natural to an American, the uh, Brazilian guy will say, well, there's no emotion. It, it, it's like it's, you're just reading it. But they want it, they want it to sound really emotional. And, 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 and because the Portuguese is, is you know, it's filled with these rising intonation and falling intonation and everything's really powerful. And so their natural read sounds like this. And then an American does it like I'm talking right now. And it's just like, oh, they're just reading. And so a lot of the, you know, the, the way that people will, what they want to hear when they hire you, it, what kind of demos you're going to send them when, when they ask for a certain genre. Um, if, if you show them a picture, how do you approach communication? We talk about all of that because it's different in Brazil than if we were working in Germany, if we were working in Australia or, you know, whatever country in Asia, for example, you know, the markets are all different. The payments are all different. And I've just focused a lot on Latin America, but you know, I'm always interested in talking to people that are working abroad to see their take on it. Well, what's what's interesting to me is like I, I do a lot of um, you know Hispanic uh, reads or Hispanic versions of whatever commercial we're working on, and usually the the instructions or the direction for the um, for the you know the domestic. Uh, the uh, English version is um, like just no big deal, not announcer like, nothing like that at all. And then when when we do the uh, Hispanic market version, it's usually like way more over the top and way more animated for whatever product it is, or like just across the board, it's amped up in comparison. And uh, I guess you know the thing I was going to say is like you know how much of it is like you know approaching the. Uh, the news lady for North Korea <laughs> when they, you know what I mean? Like just the amount of extra emotion when it's like, really? <laughs> so it's an overstated yeah. emotion in certain cultures. It's, it's more and more, you sort of turn the knob to the, to, you know, full blast. In terms yeah. It's like of, a caricature of it almost. Yeah. In some cultures. Mm-hmm. And that's what wins you the addition. Because if you know that about that culture, that their natural read is going to be a little more amped up. And you send them that amped up natural read, it'll just stand out on, on what they're receiving and you'll probably get the job. Do you, do you ever feel like it's sort of, um, you know, a lot of these things that you're doing in English are so that they can be presented to the suits up in, um, like, I guess, New York or wherever. And uh, and so do you ever feel like you're doing something, you're like, oh, when, when they hear this, they're probably not going to like that. You're thinking that in your head, but maybe, like, this is the direction that's being put forth obviously you have to do that but is there any thought that like maybe it misses the audience because really this is a translation in a sense yeah absolutely that's a great question because i think about that all the time 
And what I've noticed, and this is something that brings in a lot of work for me, is, is I've noticed that I need to tailor my read not to the end person in New York that's listening to this, but to the agency that's sending it. And that means they not just giving them the cultural translation of what they want, you know, the, the amped up natural read, but often it means reading it in a way that's clear and to an, a guy in New York is going to sound like I'm overpronouncing. I'm an, you know, it's like almost like I'm a didactic English teacher reading the text. But it, the agency guys here in Brazil can understand it. It's like, oh, he's, he speaks really well. It's really clear. I understand it. And if I do it really natural, then he doesn't understand it. And it feels like it, it's not clicking with him. So I tailor my reads always to the agency here in Brazil. And that's, they're the ones paying me. And they send it. And I think the guys in New York probably think, well, they probably did it with a local guy and, and, you know, he's not an American talent. And they know I'm American, but it's not like somebody that's a voiceover artist. And- yeah. Or, or they might very well know that it's just the direction you were given, you know? Exactly. And exactly. It's, it's just one of those interesting cultural things where it's, it's an internal thing. It's not really being put out that way. It's being put out properly for the, you know, when, when they finish it, that's the right thing for their culture because they obviously they know best. I would think that the best thing to do is that they hire somebody who's got the decision-making authority who is involved in the in the in the culture and they're not presenting these things cuz who, who knows how many ideas get killed or whatever because the guys in New York just don't get it but it totally works in you know in Brazil yeah anyways so <laughs> for some reason they trust you more when you're because these are their ideas and you know something I've worked in Brazil for 15 years now with agencies I've never signed one NDA in Brazil mm. That's funny. A lot of the animatics always come with NDAs because they're like, you know, they're working on the releases before they come out. Sometimes I'll get called for these animatics from three different agencies that are pitching the same idea that are competing. And so I know all of their ideas and they just trust me not to say anything, but they don't ask me to sign a contract. Wow. Okay, I'm going to have a guess at your other income source and I'm thinking it's going to be uh, corporate narration or industrials. Yeah, that I do. I do a lot of that, but it's not the it's not the biggest one. It's my it's not my biggest market. How about um, how about animation? It's something I just do for agencies and all the time. Okay, so um, just just presentation videos. So like they're they're not pitching a particular spot, but they're just doing um, like sizzle reels. They call them scratch. Yeah, okay. yeah, I do that. I do that. Some of those as well, but it's still well, not, well not, not not like a scratch track, but like an actual like like the the cliche joke sizzle reel is the uh, the one where um, I think a stock footage company put it out and like I, 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 you have to YouTube it, but it's really funny because the voiceover is basically like, was this a kid we put in here? <laughs> we have lots of numbers to show that we're really powerful. Like that's literally the but those videos, you know, where they're they're showing whatever, like you know, our our agency's handled this many accounts and they're pitching some other new client essentially. But yeah, for the agency itself. Yeah. Uh-huh. They, they, yeah, I, we we call them sizzle reels usually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they do have well, they, they do a lot of those in English here as well because of you know because they want to get the international clients and I've mm-hmm. recorded a lot for the agencies, but it's still not the one that I and for for example the one I'm talking about. I'll give you one last clue. Oh, this that it okay? Is I recorded my deadline for these is like tomorrow, and so like today I had to record like five. And there's a deadline for this round, and then the next round is going to start in like about a month. Each, each year, there's a deadline for them, depending on where in the world they're sending these. The Olympics. <laughs> what? I don't know. <laughs> each year, it's a different, each year, and it's a different place. 
Uh, announcements for conventions of people taking stage. No. <laughs> I'm digging. <laughs> Can I tell you? Yeah. It's for advertising festivals, like Cannes Advertising, oh, okay. International Advertising Festivals. These agencies are desperate to win awards. Right. And they have to, they put together these film cases, they call them, they're two minutes long, and they send them to all of the advertising festivals around the world. And every time they have a new campaign, they want it to enter a festival and they have to be in English. And so they send me all the time scripts to do. And it's just like a corporate read. It's like, oh, okay, this, you know, it's like, this is our idea. This is what it looked like. It reached this many people. It made this much money and we won an award. And, and that's it, you know? And if you go on, for example, if you go on canlions.com, you can see all of the advertising festival or the winners from last year, because this year is going to be in June and find out who won. Go in and, and check out which agencies around the world won awards and send them your, find out where you send your, your reel to at these agencies and say, look, I'm an American or I'm an English speaking talent. I have a great home studio. I'd like to uh, help you out whenever you need work in English. And it, uh, congratulations on that great, you know, winning a bronze lion. And I watched the case. It was really interesting. If you need work for other cases, let me know. And you charge like it were a corporate video. And you, I mean, you record hundreds of these things a year. And I just, is a market I never had heard of. And it's just gigantic. So wow. it's one more thing to look out for if you're, if you're uh, you know, looking internationally. How'd you stumble on it? Uh, I just, my wife's a voiceover artist. And so wherever she would go, they'd say, oh, your, your husband speaks English, right? Can he record some of this stuff for us? And I started yeah. doing it. And I used them. I've never in my life paid to have a demo produced. And so what I did is I used yep. these... these um, advertising or these these film festival things to put together my demo because some of them are actual cases like two minutes long and other ones are the ones that are called I think in Germany they call them the golden idea which are ideas that were not approved by the ad agencies and didn't go to air or were not approved by the client didn't go to air but the agency thinks it's such a brilliant idea that it should have won an award so they put the thing together. Yeah. They <laughs> put it on the air for like one minute. At like three in the morning in like some stupid market. Yeah. So it's eligible. It aired, right. I've seen and that. so they try to win an award with it. And so you actually have to do the the piece. You know, you have to do the tagline and, and record it because it has to be in English. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's just one of these gigantic markets that you don't hear anything about. How fascinating. Now, talking about geographic um, differences, I must admit that... Uh, there are certainly cultural differences between English, Australians, and Americans. Americans are happy to tell you that they're good at something. If you do that in Australia or England, you're a complete wanker and um, you won't get the job. So if you're marketing yourself internationally, that could be a major issue. Yeah, I agree. So how do you, um, in your talks, do you talk about that at all? Yeah, what I, what I usually suggest, for example, if you're putting together demos to send internationally, most of your work, obviously, is going to be narration. So you're going to be doing standard narration demos. You're not going to need anything fancy with lots of bells and whistles. But if you do have a fancy, sexy demo, put it on your site as well and send it to people because they don't even, it's not what they're going to use, but they like to hear that you could sound like that, you know, especially in the States where you can produce a demo of a spot that you actually didn't record. In Brazil, people don't do that. You, if we produce something here and, and they, people automatically assume that that is your voice uh, and that went to air and that was used. 
So you have to make clear that this is just an example of what I could do had I recorded it. But um, so you only use real material there, real R E E L, I should say, real real material. <laughs> that 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 raises the barrier to get in, in a sense, you know. Sure. Well, the same here though. We we don't. You, you, have you ever done fake stuff, Robbo, for anybody? I have on a couple of occasions. There was a guy uh, who who's now a very successful voiceover artist um, with one of the big voiceover agencies here in Sydney. He moved up here from Melbourne to start his voiceover career, and he had been voicing stuff, but didn't really have anything for a demo that would work. So I cut him. He vo- I got him some scripts. And we basically revoiced them over the production that I'd already done. Um, ah. So I've done that sort of stuff a couple of times for people who were trying to get into the industry or were in the industry and didn't really have a demo that was strong enough to sort of get them through the door. Um, but certainly not for people who didn't have the skills in the first place, though, I guess was how I would qualify that. Like these people clearly had the ability. They just didn't have, hadn't had the, the exposure to the client caliber of client that they needed to get them through the doors they wanted to get through. I cut my teeth initially doing demo, like at a demo shop, basically, where we would, half the time, if you want copy, you just grab a magazine ad and you start reading that, and that can turn into like copy for radio and TV pretty easily. And so it was like that, throw some music against it, make up some sound effects. And I remember my first reel as a sound designer, I had a whole bunch of stuff that I had done as like design work for demo, which was all, you know, like the guy did not do a McDonald's commercial, <laughs> things like that. <laughs> you know, not yet, hopefully, or, but he did yeah. one finally. Can I tell you, I found my very first demo reel the other day. And I shuddered. <laughs> it was awful. How it got me yeah. another job, I have no idea. Pity. No. <laughs> <laughs> I paid well. Oh, I paid well. Right, yeah, right. That was oh, it. that's yeah. what it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> yes, we know the truth, Robbo. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Hello, Charlie Fox, funny. if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> he probably is, actually. Yeah. Um, it's interesting though because I, I always find it weird when I hear someone's demo, and you know very well that wasn't the uh, the ad that went to air. Quite obviously done, you know. It's a, it's yeah. a, it's a you know a fake. And, it, I don't know. Yeah, you got to be careful what you put in your demo. Don't go come out of the gate swinging with your first commercial demo and have a Pepsi ad on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not a good idea. Look, I mean, I'll be honest. There's... There's there's a whole bunch of new voices in the Sydney market at the moment, and and all the a lot of clients that I work with have, are all excited about. Oh, you know, there's a new voice. We've got to get them on. I can't tell you the amount of times that you that there's specifically been a read on their reel that when the the agencies briefed me, they said, oh, this is the this is the one they did that you know we sort of like, and this is the way we want to go with direction, and you can't get it out of them. You, you get them uh-huh. in the booth and, and they can't do it because they've spent a week recording that 30 seconds of audio. Yeah. And when you ask yep, them yep, to reproduce yep. it in five minutes, they can't do it. It's it's even, it's done yeah. with someone giving them direction. So what it is, is like, there's a demo producer who's spending the time, you know, like recording them, giving them direction, but probably being a little bit more patient about the whole process. Because, you know, for a, whatever, a three minute demo, those people would come in 
three times, four times even for like recording stuff sometimes. It just depends on how much they wanted also to noodle it. But yeah, yep. it is definitely like the range and being able to recreate the range that you present on the uh, and, and your demo is, is important for sure. Well, the final question I've got for you, Jason, and uh, it's one I ask quite a few people, do you, how do you see the future of the industry? Do you see this huge explosion of everybody claiming to be able to do stuff and having their home studio? Do you see that shrinking back into the more professional industry? Well, I'll tell you a quick story that kind of sums it up for me. Uh, a couple of days ago, my wife and I went to an audio production company that's one of the better ones here in Sao Paulo, and they were auditioning for a gigantic client here in Brazil for one of their big advertised, you know, one of the things they were going to put on TV for in the coming months. And it was, it's, it's a really big job. And so all of the top VO talent in Brazil were auditioning for it from their home studios. And some were going into the production house. And I mean, we're talking hundreds of, of auditions. Finally, the agency decided that they wanted something that didn't sound like a voiceover artist. And they wanted someone that sounded like a real person. And convinced that a voiceover artist couldn't sound like a real person, they started asking people in the production house to audition. And so everyone at the production house auditioned, and they still didn't feel like it was real enough. And so they ended up asking people that worked at the place where the client was from to audition. And they ended up choosing one of their employees and didn't pay the person. And that's the voice that's going to go to air. And so... I don't know, you know, because we, we put so much work and effort into sounding professional and getting, you know, the great equipment and, 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 and putting together these great demos. And here in Brazil, at least, I'm seeing that people, maybe it's just a trend, but, you know, people want a voice that sounds ultra realistic. And to them, I think it means like sounding like something you'd hear on YouTube that was recorded on a, you know, a Logitech headphone. And so maybe, you know, we're, we're doing ourselves a disservice by sounding ultra professional and, and no reverb and great, you know, tube mic and all of that. And that's not what the client wants to hear anymore. And so it's really, if I'm, I'm talking about the work here and, and obviously if it's a, a tagline for a bank or an airline or something like that, you're, there's always going to be that need for the professional voice. But I'm just seeing more and more demand for ultra-realistic sounding audio. And so I'm getting away with recording on the road a lot more. I just wrote an article about recording from a cruise ship. And my wife and I spent 15 days on a ship uh, just recording in the cabin. And not one of my clients complained about the audio quality. And I was recording like on a Sennheiser 416, you know, with, you know, lounge. The, we took in chairs from the lounge and built, built, built a little booth and it was fine. Totally. They didn't, they didn't worry about it. So in a way it's scary, but in a way it opens up a lot of possibilities. You know, we don't, we can actually go anywhere we want. We can, as long as you have good enough equipment and you, and you do take the time to set it, you know, set things up correctly. As long as you have a really good internet connection, you know, the world is your oyster, go for it. And, 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 um, you know, enjoy the other side of being a voiceover artist, which means you don't always have to be cooped up in your home studio. You can go out and do a Airbnb adventure and just record from different houses around the world. You know, it's like it's the difference between prison and just chains. <laughs> but you know, like I, I think that trend has been going on in voiceover since the twenties. 
You know, and if you listen to like reels from the twenties, like people never talked like uh, like that with the way announcers spoke in the twenties and going on through the forties and fifties, and even like you know in the sixties, every era has its style, and right now the style is like just sound like a normal person. I can't tell you how many times you know that's the direction, and I'm thinking to myself like people really don't speak this way, and and everyone. You know, in the room knows it because it's like, well, do it like a normal person, but really hit up new and also hit up only and also hit up and <laughs> like, so no one's like, the new this is only like, no one speaks that way, but they still are like, it's reality like a, TV. Right. <laughs> it's the real life, but it's scripted very carefully. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. So I, I think it's just like the new reality, but it's still not reality. There's there, there's always like a and and so and so what, what what do they call it now like every man isn't that sort of the uh, the direction or the style like if it's not announcery it's just every man conversational yeah seems to be the buzzword I always hear about it's conversational but then Robert's right there's nothing conversational about it <laughs> right I mean I mean to begin with like if you look at some of the like like scripts like there's like so much need to get a certain amount of information out in 30 seconds that beyond like no one's yeah. speaking like that no one forms sentences like that normally if it's not in a 30 second context so but you know what I've never understood it because you know I, I don't understand the term conversational because no one spends 30 seconds with me at the pub telling me about the great sale that's on at Harvey Norman this week right <laughs> it, does, it doesn't happen <laughs> You know, there's there's nothing conversational about it. Right. That sentence doesn't show up in a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, did you know that Harvey Norman have 15% off microwaves this week, Robbo? (laughs) Who the fuck are you? I didn't know they were only 15% off. I want more off. (laughs) It's 50% off. Oh, Jesus. Anyway, if you want conversational, you've got to start by writing conversational, I guess, is the point really, isn't it? Yeah, Indeed. or or it's just that it's conversational and that's the intention, but really the reality is it's still it's still announcer work. And there's still a certain number of criteria that you got to hit, and that's the the threading of that needle between sounding normal <laughs> and still getting the message across, meaning not just like the words with the message, but the you know the intention like I re- I really need people to know that the price is only this much. And and that's actually required in there because if not you know how many times do you get a scratch track that's read conversationally and that's basically like the person going in only at our like prices are <laughs> 29.99 this month only and they read it not caring a bit so it is way quicker and and then they cut to that and then when the person has to actually announce to it and they have to say well emphasize only and emphasize this and emphasize that it takes all longer and now it doesn't even fit because the person who read the scratch track really did do it conversationally mm. Well, on that note, um, we should get out of here. Uh, Jason, thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Jason. Well, thank you guys for the invitation. Yeah. What an honor to be able to share this time with you. God, you're We're the first person that's ever said it's an honor. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. It's hey, usually the, the, room? Usually right. the first word. So where's the door? <laughs> <laughs> it's an honor well, to end this conversation with you. <laughs> yeah. yeah thanks. <laughs> thanks for letting us ramble on the way we do, Jason. I think it went really well because I didn't hear George snoring at any point in the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but I did hear it other activities. And, and, and I was so engaged. That's right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> you can't edit that part out. That's right. It's staying. That's good. 
Yeah, Robert's sitting there looking at the pizza menu. What shall I order in? Mmm, <laughs> <laughs> pepperoni. Uh, well, that was an interesting one because uh, thanks to Source Connect now, we went to Sao Paulo, Chicago, Los Angeles, Sydney, and just out of Melbourne. Yeah. Incredible. God, where's the world heading? That was the Pro Audio Suite. If you have any questions or ideas for a show, let us know via our Facebook, the Pro Audio Suite Podcast. Yeah.